Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer. So if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? Hey guys, welcome back to Just a Girl on True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. I was going to record this Saturday, but... um. I have this trash can and it opens automatically when someone puts their hand in it, a hand in front of it, um, and it opens, well, um, one in the morning at at Saturday, I'm sorry, it opened by itself and I got scared so I stopped recording and I'm like, yep, I'm done. Um, sorry I haven't been, I have not uploaded since April, my dryer broke, and I've just been feeling like a really old lady and I've been falling asleep at like nine o'clock even weekends my my kids are just tiring me out today and all the other days so we're going to hop in to our case I don't know if some of you guys remember um, about the case we talked about last which was Kyron's disappearance And if you guys remember, I said we would be going, um, to, we would be going to Canada. And as promised, we are going to Canada. And this case took a lot out of me and I feel like I need to take a little break a little bit. And I've been trying to get this case that I want to podcast in the future. And I just want to make sure I have my ducks in a row. Um, this may be a two-parter. I don't know yet. Let's see. Most likely it might be a two-parter because there's so much content that I've wrote. So let's just um, talk about the brutal murders of Carla Hamoka and Paul Bernardo of what they did. Now, some people might not know who Carla Hamoka is or Paul Bernardo. So I'm going to tell you. She is actually one of Canada's most infamous female serial killers. She committed several heinous crimes crimes against teenage girls with her boyfriend, who then turned into her husband, which is Paul Bernardo. Alright, and we're just going to hop into this. Carla was born on May 4th. In 1970, she grew up in Ontario, Canada, in a well-adjusted family of three. So she was the oldest out of the three daughters they had. Her friends from school remembered her as smart, attractive, popular, and an animal lover. After she graduated high school, she even went to work at a local veterinarian clinic there and it was known that you know Carla seemed to have pretty much a normal childhood but you know with all of the stuff that she has done and you will find out spoiler alert she likes to play victim Carla you're not a victim Um, She actually never took any blame of anything that happened. And she basically placed all the blame on Paul. Essentializing, essentially, like I just said, victimizing herself. Even though the evidence to the case proved that it just wasn't Paul. She had a heavy hand in it in some of the things that we talk about tonight you're going to understand like okay 
she definitely was a willing participant. I mean, that's my opinion, but hey, each has their own. They even said, even though she might have expressed sympathies, she was basically just keeping up the act to make herself look like a victim. No, no, Carla. But there was also a good chance that she was not sincere about any of it. And that's all. That's what I wanted to just throw a tidbit in there as well. Back to Carla. So Carla's parents, their names were, I think it's pronounced Carl. Carla Homoka, who was an alcoholic Czechoslovenian. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong and I apologize. And he was a Czechoslovenian immigrant. And her mom was an Ontarian. And her name was Dorothy Seeger. A um, geriatric clinic employee. Um, like I said earlier, Carla was a bright child and student that was doted on by her father. But he also would insult and assault her and her sisters during his drunk episodes so she had a normal childhood but her dad like i said was also the alcoholic and he had violent episodes and her sisters and her mom would end up taking refuge in their basement when he got into arguments with them they just kind of like ran which i mean okay i get you want to get away from that when her parents' marriage flattered, um, he ended up actually taking on a mistress. However, his wife's response to this was to propose a threesome. Yep, you heard me right. His wife, Carla's mom, said, you know what, it's alright. We could just have a threesome, forget about it. And they wanted to keep it as normal, I'm guessing, for their daughters <sighs> okay and I put my like just how does that work somebody explain to me how that works because that makes no sense um but yeah even though Carla was described as a sweet and animal loving child she was also described as stubborn and a dom and domineering being unable to being unable to compromise with other children and she was always willing to speak her mind with adults she even began to have depressive episodes after she became she began to taint she began to attend sir winston churchill secondary school during which she was she would dress in a non-conforming manner, cut herself, and claim false suicide attempts as a way, as a way basically to seek attention. And I don't know if I put it in here, but I know I read it in another article. Um, she kind of got this name in high school where, you know, she was just a liar and she'd gossip. I'm pretty sure that's what it said, but I didn't write it down and I don't know why. Um, she then later developed a sadistic and masochistic fantasies. And that's really all I could find about Carla, what I wanted to dig into. And now we're going to talk about Paul, but we're not also just going to talk about Paul. When I'm describing this, it's more going to be like his family dynamic, and then we're unfortunately going to jump right into the abuse. So let's start with Paul Bernardo. Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born on August 27th in 1964 in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. I'm going to pause right here because when I did this research, when I found out his birthday... I was like, oh my god, I share a birthday with a serial killer and a serial 
rapist. I mean, I, w I was born August 27th, 1996. And, oh, that, oh, that just struck my bones. I don't know why, it just did. And I said, I share a birthday with this fucking monster. Uh, I just can't. And, you know, it's just a no-go It's a no -go for me, folks, because no, 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 no. <laughs> All right, anyway. Paul was born into a wealthy family, but also a dysfunctional family. His mother's name was Marilyn, who was adopted by a well-to-do Toronto lawyer, Gerald Eastman, and his wife Elizabeth, and she was raised in a stable household. His father's name was Kenneth, hence his middle name, Paul Kenneth Bernardo. And he was the son of an English woman and an Italian immigrant who created a highly successful marble and tile business, but he was abusive to his wife and children. Instead of entering the family business, Kenneth ended up going to be an accountant, which I'm assuming that his family didn't like because they're like, you should have went into the business. But he said, you know what? I'm not going in there. I'm going to be an accountant, Dad. Get over it. That's how I see that conversation happening. Don't know if it really did. So after, I'm assuming, hit Paul's mom, Marilyn, after her father had disapproved of an earlier boyfriend, oh yeah, Marilyn ended up marrying Kenneth in 1960. And just like his father, Kenneth Bernardo, it was said that he was abusive as well. Um, Marilyn then gave birth to a son and a daughter, and she began seeing a formal boyfriend. But her son, Paul, wasn't actually Kenneth. It was the boyfriends, I'm assuming. And she ended up getting pregnant with him and then gave birth to him on August 27th. And I said, ew. <laughs> Kenneth actually tolerated his wife's affair for some fucking reason. Maybe, you know, he was like, I beat her, so she went out and cheated on me I don't know how that works that's just wrong don't beat your wife don't cheat on your spouse no, just don't lay a hand on your spouse or cheat on them that's how I see it I mean what is going on in this time error in Canada how is that normal people are just accepting their significant others affairs okay I don't get it but Kenneth was actually listed as Paul's father on his birth certificate in 1975, Kenneth had fondled a girl and was charged with child molestation. And he also, this is nasty, I'm sorry, trigger warning. He also sexually abused his own daughter. Fucking nasty. Now you're probably sitting here wondering, this case is about Carla and Paul. Why are we talking about Paul's parents? I feel like we had to talk about Paul's parents parents because this is probably where his abuse stemmed from his dad and probably mom who cheated and I don't know she just might have something to do she I'll explain it um his mother actually became very depressed over her husband's abuse she withdrew from family life and lived in the basement of their Scarborough home. So she was like, I'm done with this. Don't want it to happen. And I'm living in the basement. That's it. Alright. Though the elder children felt the effects of the emotional and mental turmoil, young Paul appeared to be unscathed by it. Huh. I think that plays a huge key in how he turned out now. I lost my place. Oh, 
In his book, Lethal Marriage, Nick Prawn describes the young Paul. He was always happy. He was a boy who smiled a lot. And he was so cute with his dimpled good looks and a sweet smile. And that many other, that many mothers just wanted to pinch his cheeks. Which, hey, whenever they saw him, they wanted to do that. He was probably a cute baby. We're all cute babies. Then some of us just turn into serial killers and go, ah, what happened? He was the perfect child. And they they all wanted him as a child because he was perfect. He was polite, well-mannered, he was doing well in school, and just so sweet in his Boy Scout uniform. Everything you want from a kid. He's mannered, he's sweet, he listens to us, he's doing, did I say doing well in school? If I did, I repeated myself. He was just all those things that a lot of people like, yep, he, he's a perfect child. What happened, Paul? What happened? Following an argument between his mother and father, when Paul was roughly about 16, his mother told him of his actual parentage, repulsed. And I don't know what that meant, but I put it in there because it was in the thing. But then Paul began opening openly calling his mother a slob and a whore i wish my kids would because ooh it would be on like white on rice or whatever they say you're not going to call me that mm. and i don't know how his mom or not even his mom i don't even know how his dad let him do that because i gave birth to you paul that's what I'd be like. If I was his mom, uh-uh. You're not going to call me that. I gave birth to you. No, no, no. So, Paul graduated from Sir Wilford, Wilfred, sorry, Lawyer College Gate Institute. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that wrong. I've never been to Canada, but I'm planning on going there next year. All right. And after he graduated, he decided to work for Amway, whose sales culture had a very deep effect on him. He brought books and tapes of famous motivational, get-rich-famous experts. And Paul and his friends also practiced their techniques on young women who they met in bars and honestly they were fairly successful at it for some reason. It worked. By the time Paul attended the University of Toronto Scarborough, he had developed dark sexual fantasies, enjoyed humil humili humili oh humili humili oh my god I'm sorry humili oh <laughs> he enjoyed humil I can't say humiliating there you go humili oh. and not. He enjoyed of making fun of women in public and he would beat up the woman he actually dated. Not off to a good start, Paul. On October in on October nineteen eighty seven, Paul ended up meeting a woman by the one and only named Carla Homoka. The two became sexually interested in each other almost immediately they're like yep you're the one i want and she's like ah, okay paul i don't know what that was <laughs> unlike the other girls he knew or dated carla actually encouraged his sadistic sexual behavior and also he encouraged his access to scarborough rapist so, good old Paul here, committed multiple sexual assaults, escalating in viciousness and in and around the Scarborough area in Ontario. Most of the assaults were young women who he stalked after they exited 
buses in the late evening. So that's the backstories of Carla and Paul and Paul's parents. And now we're going to talk, unfortunately, about the heinous crimes that Paul committed as the Scarborough rapist. And trigger warning, if you don't want to listen to this, or this is an, emo an emotional subject for you, please feel free to skip it if this is not something you're into. I'm not into talking about rape concerning my childhood, but I did it because they're monsters. Alright, so let's talk about them. On May 4th in 1987, Paul committed his first rape in Scarborough against a 21-year-old woman in front of her parents' house after he followed her home. This attack lasted more than a half hour. And then on May 14th in 1987, he committed his second rape. This woman was only 19 years old and it happened in the backyard of her parents' house and it lasted for over an hour. So then he like took a little break and he didn't attack anybody until July 27, 1987. And I don't know why, like I am in a serial killers, you know, like I've I listen to podcasts and like some people take breaks and then they go back and like maybe maybe he thought catch me I don't want to do it anymore I don't know why he took the break I wish he would have just stopped but he didn't and this one um was an attempted rape although he ended up beating the woman up he ended up abandoning the attack because this woman right here fought back like the bad bitch she was good job girl i don't know any of their these names but good job guy good job that's awesome and then i said get it girl the next attack didn't happen until december 16th in 1987 see again where he took like a break and then he just goes back into it and in the December one this is when he committed his third rape against a 15 year old girl this rape lasted for about an hour and the following day the Toronto Police Service issued a warning to woman in the Scarborough area Air, borough area saying traveling be careful if you're traveling alone at night um especially the ones who are taking buses because that's what he was doing he was stalking them and then he would follow them and do the assaults on them on december 23rd in 1987 paul committed his fourth rape during this attack, Paul raped a 17-year-old girl with a knife he used to threaten victims. It was at this time he was beginning to be known as the Scarborough Rapist. And then we're going to jump forward to the next year, um, which is April 18th in 1988. And he also attacked another 17-year-old girl. And this would be his fifth assault, and this lasted for 45 minutes. Then on May 25th in 1988, Paul was nearly caught by a uniformed Metro Toronto investigator staking out a bus stop shelter. And when the investigator actually noticed him hiding under a tree, he decided to pursue him on foot. But unfortunately, Paul escaped. Going to five days later, March 30th in 1988, he did his sixth rape, but at this time it was in Clarkson, about 25 minutes southwest of Scarborough. This attack 
was against an 18 year old and it lasted for 30 minutes. And then on October 4th in 1988, Paul attempted his seventh rape. His intended victim, again, fought back and fought him off, but he did inflict two gunshot wounds. I'm sorry, not gunshots, two stab wounds to her thigh and to her buttock area, and it required 12 stitches. I've never had stitches before, and that just seems painful. That just seems painful. I mean, and kudos to her, kudos to her for fighting him off, but I mean, oh, stitches, no. I don't do needles and I have tattoos and I have piercings. Ah, no. On November 16th, 1988, Paul committed his seventh rape against an 18-year-old in the backyard of his parents' house. So when I was doing this, like, I saw, like, that one. He was, like, going back to his first and second ones. And I was like, ew. It... I mean, all these girls, poor these girls, and I feel so bad for all of them. I mean, but the people who were literally in their yard, in front of their parents' house, in their backyard, like, they were, they were right there. That is crazy. On November 17th, sorry about that, that was not me. On November 17th in 1988, the Metro Police formed a special task force dedicating to the capture of the Scarborough Rapist. On December 27th in 1988, an alerted neighbor chased Paul after chased Paul off after he had begun to attempt his eighth rape on June 20th in 1998. 1989, Paul attempted to rape another young woman. She fought against him, and her screams actually alerted the neighbors. Paul ended up fleeing the scene with scratches on his face. On August 15th, in, 18, in 1989, he committed his eighth rape against a 22-year-old woman. He ended up stalking this woman the previous night from outside the window of her apartment and waited for her to arrive home. That's fucking creepy, guys. Don't creep on men or women outside their apartment. Okay? Just don't do it. This attack lasted for two hours. On November 21st, 1989, Paul did his ninth rape against a 15-year-old woman who he saw in a bus shelter. This one lasted 45 minutes. On December 22, in 1989, he did his 10th rape against a 19-year-old woman. This attack occurred in a stairwell of an underground parking lot and it lasted 30 minutes. May 26th in 1990, Paul did his 11th rape. This lasted for over an hour. However, his 19-year-old victim's vivid recollect recollections of her attacker permitted police to make a computer composite photograph, which was released two days later by police in Toronto and area newspapers. In July 1990, two months after receiving tips that Paul fit the Scarborough Rapist composite, he was interviewed by two police detectives. So between May and September of 1990, the police had submitted more than over 130 suspect samples for DNA. Testing when they received testing. 
and then they received two reports that the person they were seeking was nobody other than Paul Kenneth Bernardo. The first one who recognized him was in June and had been called in from a bank employer and the second call was received from Tina Smirnins. I don't know if I pronounced her last name right. Smirnins, that looks like how it is. And she was the wife of one of the Smir Smirnins brothers who were amongst Paul's closest friends. Tina told the detectives that Paul had been called in on a previous rape investigation once in December of 1987, but he had never been interviewed. Okay, let that sink in. He frequently talked about his sex life to Tina, and he liked analings, rough sex, and anal sex. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you have a consenting partner, nothing wrong with that at all. Alex Smyrna's phrasing was awkward and stilted and consequently left the detectives unsure of whether to take him seriously. But after cross-checking with several files, the detectives decided to actually inter interview Paul. But don't get your hopes up. The interview was on November 20th in 1990, and it only lasted for 35 fucking minutes long. That's not an interview, guys. Not to me anyway. What'd you do? Talk a little bit and be like, yep, you're okay. But I'll explain what, why that happened. And, you know, even though the interview only lasted 35 minutes... Paul voluntarily gave samples for forensic testing. And I put, wait, what? <laughs> okay. He knows he's guilty. And like I said in the beginning, why, like, maybe he took breaks. Maybe he actually just wanted to get caught. That's why he voluntarily gave the samples, maybe? I don't know. That's my thought. But hey, everybody has their opinions. When the, the detectives asked Paul why he thought he was being investigated for the rapes, he admitted that he did resemble the composite. You know, he's like, yep, I look like that, so that's why y'all brought me in here, right? And I have nothing to hide, Jerry. So I'm going to give you some samples. And then he's low-key thinking, yes, I did do that, but I'm not about to tell you that. The detectives concluded that such a well-educated, well-adjusted, congeal young man couldn't be responsible for the vicious crimes. He was far more credible than Alec than Alex was, who was awkward with his awkwardness, his strange speaking, and he might just be trying to collect the reward so we're not gonna believe the guy who said you know he talked all about this stuff like his sex life what type of sex he likes and stuff like that but you know that's awkward so we're not gonna believe him we're gonna believe Paul over here who is a well-adjusted well-fit-to-society person and has nothing to hide because he looks like a good person no don't be so quick to judge, okay? Paul was released the following day, by the way. Following the interview, Paul decided to drive to St. Catharines and he held a secret meeting with Carla Homoka, assuring her that he was not the Scarborough rapist. He said, listen, babe, it's not me. I might look like the sketch, but I'm telling you, it's my doppelganger. It's just not me, babe. Ah, you know me. 
And then Parlo's like, yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's all right, honey. You're not the Scarborough rapist. Girl, no. That, that's how I envisioned that conversation would play out. All right. Could be wrong. Paul ended up permanently moving to St. Catharines on February 1st in 1991. The sexual assaults in Scarborough had magically stopped. They disappeared. They stopped. Nothing happened to any more girls. I mean, like I said, come on. Did nobody put two and two together? Paul was there. The rapes were occurring. Paul left. And all of a sudden, the rape stopped? Did you not think to put two and two together? Police? Detectives? Hmm? Obviously not. However, on April 6th in 1991, Paul had committed his 12th rape. And this was in St. Catharines. Again... The victim was young. I heard saw 14, but I also saw 15, so she was 14 and 15. Unlike the other attacks, this one occurred in the early morning, and he was not near a bus stop. They don't know her name, and they refer to her as Jane Doe, so that's who we're going to be referring to her as, Jane Doe. Or Jane. And like I said, that's what I'll refer to. When she still worked at a pet shop two years earlier, I'm assuming it's Jane Doe, but they didn't clarify, but I'm 90% sure after what I'm about to read right now, it's Jane Doe. So two years earlier, she worked at a pet shop. Carla, now we're going to get into stuff with Carla as well. Carla had befriended Jane Doe, and on June 7th in 1991, Carla invited the teen, Jane, in the ensuing trials for a girls' night out. Yep, girls' night out. After an evening of shopping and dining, Carla took Jane Doe to 57 Bayview Avenue and began plying her with alcohol laced with Halcyon. And after Jane Doe lost consciousness, Carla then called Paul to tell him his surprise wedding gift was ready. I did not put in here that they ended up getting married, frankly, because I don't I don't care, and it's not relevant, but they ended up getting married. And I told you in the beginning, her boyfriend, who then turned into her husband. I'm just not going to waste my time on some wedding. You guys don't get deserve, you guys don't deserve happy moments like that, okay? And I said, ew. They, trigger warning, um... Trigger warning, trigger warning. I cannot stress this enough. If you thought the Scarborough stuff was bad. I think this is worse because I had a rough time writing this. Okay. Here we go. Let me take a drink first. I'm drinking a Smirnoff iced screwdriver. And it's pretty good. It tastes like orange juice. So give me one second. Okay, I'm back. They, after they laced her, they laced alcohol with the stuff. They undressed the girl, who was a virgin. And Paul videotaped Carla as she raped the girl. Before Paul vaginally and annually penetrated her. But... Here's Carla over here playing the victim 
But Carla, you are participating in this just like Paul was. Just like it. You ain't no fucking victim. You're a monster just like Paul's a monster. The next morning, the teenager was nauseous. And she believed her vomiting was due to having having to be drunk from the alcohol for the first time. Oh, I'm sorry. That says drank. That should say drink, not drunk. Having to drink the alcohol, then that's why she believed she was nauseous. She did not realize she was actually... She, I'm sorry. Let me put in... She did not realize she had been violated. That poor girl. She was eventually invited back to Port Dollhouse Law District in Northwest St. Catharines, um, situated on Lake Ontario. In August, this time, so she went back to the place and it was for her to actually spend the night this time in a replay of Tammy Homoka and we're gonna get to Tammy real shortly so hold on to your hats guys um so Jane's Doe Jane Doe was identified remains that were protected by law um, she stopped breathing after, and she was drugged, and Paul raped her. Carla called 911 for help, 911 for help, but then called a few minutes later to say everything was alright. The emergency was recalled without following up. Um, Jane Doe visited the couple once more. On December twelfth in nineteen, uh, December twelfth in nineteen ninety two, and this is when Carla pursued her into having sex with Paul, but she actually became very upset and left, and she was like, probably like, no, I'm not doing that, and I'm leaving. Goodbye. Don't contact me again. Um. So now we're gonna talk about the school kill, schoolgirl killer murders. First, like I said, we would talk about her um, in a little bit, and that is Tammy Homolka, that is Carla's sister. So we're going to go back to, uh, we're going to go back a little to the 1990, and that is when Paul moved, he actually ended up spending large amounts of time with the Homolka family who liked him very, very much. God only knows why they liked him, because I sure fucking don't. He was engaged to Carla, like I said, the oldest, but he constantly flirted with the youngest one. I believe the middle sister was named Lori. Um, he ended up never telling Carla's family that he actually lost his job as an accountant and instead he was smuggling cigs, cigarettes, across the nearby U.S. and Canadian border. He then eventually became obsessed with Tammy peeping into her window and entering her room to masturbate while she slept. That's fucking gross. Invasion of privacy. No. If you think that's gross, just wait till what I'm about to read to you. Carla actually helped him by breaking the blinds in her sister's window. Carla, girl, that is your young sister. He is a predator. And you're helping him do this to your family. Oh, she infuriates me. I think I'm more infuri- like, I've done like a lot of cases that infuriate me, but this one really infuriates me because you're fucking nasty, just like Paul. Just like Paul. 
In July, Paul ended up taking Tammy across the border to get beer for a party. She should not be drinking. She's a minor. I mean, okay, yes, we all drink as minors, but not, not with someone who's creeping on you in your window and sneaking your room to masturbate to beat his meat while you sleep and your sister is letting him and helping him do this. Sick. While there, Paul told his fiancée, Carla, that him and Tammy got drunk and they actually began making out. Alright, so I don't know what happened after that, but uh, obviously she's like, eh, it's okay. According to Paul's testimony in court on July 24th in 1990, so fast forward a little bit. Carla laced her sister's spaghetti sauce with crushed Valium and she had, that she had actually stolen from her employer in Martindale Animal Clinic. She then served the dinner to her sister Tammy, who soon began to lose consciousness. Then Paul began to rape Tammy. While her sister Carla... Watch the whole fucking entire thing like the monster she is. Over the summer, good old Paul right over here, not good old Paul, had supplied Tammy and her friends with gifts, food, and sodas, and had a film and a few and a few white flecks on the top. So yeah, we call that grooming, okay? We call when a guy or woman are interested in a younger, younger kid, younger teenager. They will buy them things and show them attention and compliment them in a way of grooming the child to gain trust. And that is exactly what Paul was doing to Tammy. So six months before their wedding in 1991, Carla decided to steal an um, anesthetic agent Halothane from the clinic on December 15th in 1990. Carla and Paul administered sleeping pills to a 15-year-old girl in a rum and eggnog cocktail. So I'm guessing that was Tammy. After, yeah, after Tammy was unconsciousness, Carla and Paul undressed her, and Carla applied the halothene soaked cloth to her sister's nose and mouth. Carla... Listen to this because this will fuck you up because it fucked me up. Even when I read about listening to this case on Morbid, it still fucked me up. Carla wanted to give Tammy's virginity to Paul for Christmas. As according to Carla, Paul was very disappointed by not have by not having been Carla's first sex partner, so he's like, hey. You gotta give me something because you weren't the first person I had sex with. I know who I want. I want your sister Tammy. And Carla was like, hmm, okay, sounds good. No, Carla, we don't do that. Once again, I envision that conversation going like that. With Tammy's parents, be Tammy's parents being asleep upstairs, the pair filmed themselves themselves, so it wasn't just Paul themselves raping her in the basement Tammy ended up she ended up beginning to vomit and the pair tried to revive her and they called 911 but not before they you know hid the evidence they dressed Tammy's body and moved her into her basement bedroom if you as a few hours later, Tammy was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital without having regained 
consciousness. Despite the pair's behavior, vacuuming and washing laundry in the middle of the night, and despite the presence of the presence of a chemical burn on Tammy's face, Nigira Regional Coroner and the Homoka family accepted the pair's version of events, which I'm kind of wondering how did you explain a chemical burn on your sister's face? What I I don't have anything to think on the top of my head. I don't know. The official cause of Tammy's death was ruled accidental. Choking on her own vomit after consumption of alcohol. Correct me if I'm wrong, that don't cause a chemical burn. The pair sub subsequently filmed Carla wearing Tammy's clothing and she pretended to be her sister. That's weird. Very creepy. And they also moved out of the Homoka family house and they rented the Port Dow house bungalow to let her parents grieve. And guys, that is actually where we are going to end. Um, we have a lot more people to discuss. And we will get to the end of it and know their trials and, you know, just see what people have been up to. So I hope you loved, not loved, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the first part of Carla and Paul, the monsters. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me at Just a Girl in True Crime. You can send me an email at just a girl and true crime at gmail.com. You can also find my Facebook group at just a girl and true crime on Facebook. Thank you all for your guys' support. Sorry I have not uploaded. I will upload this one in two days or I might report pre-record it now. Um, I am so sorry once again. I, I do have a full-time job and I try to upload, but like I said, with all this stuff happening, it was hard. I had a lot going on. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for being patient. Please tell your friends and family about the podcast if you choose. Or, you know, just keep it for yourself. Whatever. Um, what else? I don't think there's anything else um, other than just say thank you guys for everything. And, you know, I'll be recording to you guys in two days. I'm going to hold that promise too. You're going to be like, wow, she recorded again. <laughs> I'm playing. But anyway, guys, I'll see you later.